everyone and welcome to 101 George Street, the podcast from Mowbray, Scotland's National Centre for Children's Literature and Storytelling. My name is John Malloy and each week I invite a guest onto the show from the worlds of storytelling, children's literature and creative learning. My guest today is Fife-based author Jill White. Jill published her first book, Leo and the Lightning Dragons, in 2019. Published by Fledgling Press, she wrote the book for her son who was born with an extremely rare form of epilepsy. The story encourages children to persevere and find strength in the face of adversity. Jill, could you tell us a bit more about the book and how you came up with it? Yeah, of course. Well, I wrote the book for my son, Leo. Uh, Leo's an incredibly cute, very resilient four-year-old boy. Well, he's actually almost five in September, but he suffers from Otohara syndrome. Um, Most people haven't heard of Otohara syndrome. It's a very rare um, form of epilepsy characterized by seizures and severe developmental delay. Um, As an example, Leo has had between 20 and 180 seizures um, for pretty much his whole life. So he has a bit of a tough time of it. Most children with Otohara syndrome, um, they pass away before the age of two, either from sort of a chest infection or apneas or um, seizures in SUDEP. Um, But Leo, he's, as I say, he's very resilient and he's defied those odds so far. So, um, yeah, which is obviously fantastic, but uh, every day is still very, very hard work for him. Um, So when I wrote the book, um, it was actually just before his first birthday and he was having a particularly hard time. I I said 180 seizures, so he was having that number at that time, which was hideous. His medication wasn't working um, and he was fighting really hard every day, but ultimately his condition can't be cured. And I just thought that was really, really unfair. You know, you're always taught that if you fight, then you will overcome everything. So I thought he deserved a happier ending to a story than the one that they're writing for him. Um, So I wrote him one. Um, yeah, and basically I drew on um, the team of people all involved in Leo's care. So the doctors, the nurses, and, and um, so I created this kingdom of people who are all trying to help the brave knight Leo fight his dragons. I'm not 100% convinced the nurses liked the fact that they're the witches. I have assured them that they are good. <laughs> I have promised them that they are good witches. So yeah, they were, they were a bit miffed at the beginning, actually, but I think they're okay now. So yeah, they can see it. <laughs> Did you bring the book after it was published? Did you bring it into the hospital and show them it? Yeah, I didn't do it intentionally. I actually, my husband had packed the book when we went to Rachel House for a respite stay, and um, that's that's the children's hospice. So it's it's actually Chaz. There's a dedication in the book to Chaz as well because I'd like to raise awareness for them. And my relatives are donated to Chaz, so they've actually looked after our family since Leo was only about a month old. So we go there for regular respite stays, kind of every few months. It was a wee bit more at that time because Leo was a bit more high maintenance, shall we say. <laughs> Sorry, Leo. But yeah, so my husband actually packed the book and uh, it was the nurses in there at that time that they said, this is great, you need to do something about it. So uh, yeah, they're, they're the ones that nagged me. So um, but the funny thing is, it wasn't actually even going to be a book in the first place. It was actually going to be a poster for Leo. And uh, it was going to be a poster for his bedroom wall. I'd asked, I'd found Jilly, so that yeah, an artist, um, Fife artist, and I found her in the hope that she might do a few illustrations for this poster. And well, obviously, that's not exactly how that panned out. So uh, yeah, he got a book. <laughs> <laughs> it's no bad thing. It's no bad thing. Yeah. Looking at the story, the story obviously features a young knight called Leo mm-hmm. and his battle against his lightning dragons, and his lightning dragons being being epilepsy 
And I remember when I first read the book, I was struck by how how simple and wonderful the analogy that you make with the lightning dragons. And no one can see them, they're completely invisible, but they're there. And he has to overcome them and he has to conquer them. I, like a lot of people, have family members or friends who, who have epilepsy of varying degrees. And whenever I've said and showed them the book, they go, yeah, that's what it's like. Regardless of your age, that's what it's like. You, you feel like you've got something there inside of you that you kind of have to overcome. It's always there. That's something I've actually been blown away by about the book. It is, it's, the rev- it's the reviews where the parents have actually said, well, I used this book to help you know, my child understand their condition or understand a sibling's condition. And I had one mum saying that she used it to explain her epilepsy to her daughter in a way that her daughter could really understand. And I, you know, I'm, I'm not a particularly weepy person, but those ones get me because that, the fact that Leo's story, the fact that, you know, it's the fact that that can actually help other children to understand something that's happening to them or their family. And that, that's been amazing to actually hear that feedback. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really delighted it's been taken the way it was intended, to be honest. With the lightning dragons, it's one of the things that the feedback that we've had is because you actually can't see them, it's a great way of introducing discussions with children about mental health, um, about you know chronic illness and about things that just because you can't see a battle that somebody is fighting doesn't mean it's not scary and it's not big. And and um, it, it you can sort of speak to them then about the importance of of being kind, even if you don't really understand what they're going through, because again, the question is, you know, would Leo be able to defeat his dragons if it wasn't for the kingdom supporting him? So it's, uh, yeah, uh, there's, there's been a lot of amazing feedback, actually, um, about that. Again, one of the things that struck me about the book is that you're highlighting the importance of someone's support network of friends yeah. and family around them, but you're also educating other people, regardless of what their age, about what it could be like for someone going through that process, that it is a battle and just because you can't see it and for, for little kids if they can't see something sometimes they find it difficult to understand yeah. it the actual process of writing the book the step-by-step process must be quite daunting a lot of writers and new writers have told me that it's a daunting process yeah it's a, it's a funny one for me because um the process for me wasn't actually particularly daunting at all because it was never going to be a book and I think um you know the second book that's daunting (laughs) but you know the first one because it was just something I was doing for my son and it was just a wee thing for his birthday I never even I didn't think about it it's not something that was ever on my radar that I could one day be a published author It, it wasn't it just wasn't there and as I say it was going to be a poster and I thought well I would contact I would look for an an illustrator that was my plan and um, they could ideally just do a few pictures around the side of it and I would have then this poster and um, so once I got these words down and uh, I've kind of done limericks and things before in cards but I'd never ever tackled a children's book but I think when it's a subject that's close to your heart it's a lot easier for words to flow you know, when you're not trying to force them. Um, so yeah, it just it just seemed to spill out actually, most of it. And this is where I feel like a little bit of a fraud because most of it actually came out in an afternoon. So um, it was just when it was in my head, I just had to get it down on the paper. Um, so it's the actual process with Julie was then a wee bit longer, obviously, because she was going to do this poster, but she actually fell in love with the story and said, look, can we maybe look at trying to do this as a book? And uh, I couldn't say no to that. I mean, Jilly, her work is gorgeous. You know, it's, it's so whimsical and it's quirky and it's charming. And uh, yeah, we have 
I've, there's not one thing that she's put forward that I didn't like, except for the number of stars. The girl is a lot sparklier than I am, so we always bicker about the appropriate number of stars to feature on a page. But aside from that one thing, we, um, we agree on pretty much everything. So when I saw the ideas that she had and the layouts she had, it wasn't a difficult thing to happen. So, uh, so yeah, we ended up putting this little book together and just, it was only ever intended for Leo, as I say, until the staff at the hospice bullied me. <laughs> so yeah, that, that part actually, it was, it was just fun. But I think that's true of anything. If you don't have that end point in mind, you don't have the pressure. So you, you can just create without, without all the worries that go with it. Yes, yeah, so I did feel like a bit of a fraud actually there. <laughs> So without Jilly B, they may not have been a book at all. Oh, not at all. No, she, um, yeah, not in the slightest, actually. The minute she saw it, she was just overflowing with all the ideas and the characters. And I mean, I was, the first time I saw her drawing of Leo, the first time, and uh, she actually found that sketch the other day and she showed me it. And about the first time, I was just, I was quite emotional, actually, because to see him come to life is a, such an adorable little cartoon character, you know, and it was, it was lovely. So, and then it just, it just flowed. And every page she brought to me, you could just see it come more and more and more to life. So, so there were changes as the book went along, some of the wording and, you know, we, we tweaked it. And then, um, and then, uh, yeah, after, well, after I'd been nagged, as I say, by the nurses at Rachel House, and they won't mind me saying that, I've said it before, <laughs> but um, I actually ended up approaching an author friend, it was a husband of a colleague I used to work for, and I actually just approached him, sent him the book and said, look, what do you think I can do here? And um, he ended up taking it to Claire at Fledgling Press and they agreed to publish it. And it was quite, I was really lucky actually because they don't publish children's books, but they loved the story. They loved what I was trying to do in terms of raising awareness of Chaz, raising awareness of Otahara syndrome. And, and um, so yeah, they, they agreed to publish it. So I've had a lot of people helping along the way to create this book and it's just, everyone's been brilliant. So uh, yeah, it's, it was a, it was an enjoyable process actually. Daunting was the launch and everything afterwards when you when you put it out into the world and you wait to hear what people think, especially when it's so personal. That that's daunting. I was I was and still get very nervous about that. So uh, <laughs> fantastic. And um, as a point of interest, how many stars are appropriate for a page? <laughs> It depends on the size of the page. It depends on the feel. You know, we will we will debate that for hours. <laughs> Far too many variables are going. No, on. honestly, it's always less than Jilly thinks, and it's always more than I think. But in the middle, we, we find a happy medium for the most part. <laughs> so the girl loves her stars. <laughs> How does it feel to be a published writer? It's absolutely fantastic, actually. It's um, it's it's a really funny one, as I was saying, because um, I, I said to you there briefly that I, I felt like a bit of a fraud, and I think it is because before I before Leo came along, I worked with my husband in financial services. So you know, although as I said, I used to like you know do um write limericks and things for cards, just greet you know for family and friends. It's not something that was ever on my radar. I think you have an idea of what a children's book author or an author or a writer should be. And that felt very removed from me sitting at my desk, typing up letters in the center of town. So it wasn't, it wasn't on my radar at all. So when it actually, when it was published and it took me a wee while to stop, I think it's imposter syndrome, they call it. There is that feeling of, oh goodness, can I call myself an author? And eventually I just, I did shake that off because people, 
people love the book, the, the reviews are great. I go to schools and kids are loving the sessions. And so I look at that thinking, well, actually, yeah, <laughs> you can call yourself that. It's okay. <laughs> Have you ever had ambitions to be a writer? Just a, just small hidden ambitions about, you know, what one day... I think I must have, because I've actually I've embraced it so thoroughly. It must have been sneakily hidden in there somewhere. So yeah, definitely. <laughs> are you going to continue being a writer? Yeah, absolutely. That that is my plan. It's uh, I've got lots and lots of started stories, which <laughs> I think at this stage, Jilly is actually wringing my neck about because um, we uh, there was a say. The second book was, was quite a funny one. You know, I was saying that was quite daunting because a lot of the questions we got, even from the beginning, was mm. what about the next book? When's the next book coming? And I was sort of thinking, well, I, I love the first one. We're still on that. So I think there was a lot of pressure there to sort of be coming up with something. So at the beginning, I think we did sort of think, right, we need to get going in this. Whereas as we've, we've kind of relaxed over time and just thought, well, there was a lot of love and a lot of care that went into creating Leo and the Lightning Dragons. And I do think that shows. So our viewpoint is, well, anything else that we create or we do, if we can't do it with the same amount of love, then do you want to do it? So I think that's the thing. So we are not rushing it. We're not worried about deadlines or, you know, things like that. We're just, we're just, yeah, we're just taking things at our own pace. And I think for me, there's so much to do with Leo and the Lightning Dragons, you know, especially with obviously the last few months, uh, there were school visits that can't happen. And there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of scope with Leo and the Lightning Dragons still that to me, if, if I have a second book, then I feel like that's that parked. You know, it's just, and I'm not ready to step away from that just yet. So I think um, it's, yeah, it is moving along and I'm thoroughly enjoying that process, but it's not a rushed process anymore because I think that does take a lot of the enjoyment out of it when you feel pressured to do something like that. So, um, so yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I know from speaking to writers in the past that when they first approach writing their first book it, it, it is daunting and it's it is a challenge but the second book could be equally as much of a challenge because you have that pressure of okay i've done one and now i need to do another one from the sounds of it the fact that you wrote most of it in an afternoon yeah. <laughs> you're gonna be fine <laughs> I uh, know, I, I hope so. I hope so. So uh, yeah. there's a lot I would like to do with a second book. And I think that's where the pressure came from a little bit, because I, for me, it's the focus of inclusion, of um, inclusion and acceptance is a huge, huge focus for me. So all children can see themselves represented in stories. So for me, it's very much, you know, children of wheelchairs, children with disabilities. There's increasing representation in books now, but not enough. So obviously that would be a focus I'd like to have in my book. But by the same token, you, I'd like the book to have a strong multi-sensory element. But then at the same time, it has to be a really enjoyable, fun story. So finding that balance, it's um, it worked with Leo and the Lightning Dragons very much because it was from the heart. So the second, the second book, it's very much well. I don't want to force that and have it feel empty. You know, it, it, when it feels right, I think it'll feel right. So, but in the meantime, we just. Just keep writing lots of random words and we'll see what happens. While I was doing my research for this interview, I went on your website, as I, I tend to do for authors and guests on the show, and I saw the resources that you have up there. Um, and your website is www.leoandthelightningdragons.com. 
I saw there was colouring sheets, worksheets, there was songs, which we're going to listen to in a moment, ideas for sensory storytelling, which is wonderful. When you published the book, did you really want to go down the route of, right, this is not just a story, this is not just a, just a book, but this is actually a, a teaching resource for people? Yeah, definitely with the multisensory storytelling, because for me, um, Leo, he, he loves being read to, but he doesn't understand words. So for for me, when I'm telling him a story, I want to take him into a story in other ways. So that's where the multisensory element came in. And it's great fun for all kids anyway. So even something as simple as, you know, a cauldron bubbling and it's just blowing in a glass of, you know, everyone loves that. I've loved that since I was a kid. So, um, you know, just blowing in the glass of juice and there's, there's the crinkling of the foil, the making the lightning. There are so many ways to actually bring get kids ultimately more involved in the telling of the story and the enjoyment of the story. So we actually, I knew I wanted to have that at the back of the book all the sensory ideas and then putting it on the website as well and um, just so that folk have got access to that so that was a, that was a really strong element for me to have that you did remind me there actually and um, we added more worksheets um during lockdown and um, so we've got word searches more coloring in sheets and the ones that i use for the schools see jilly she she absolutely loves the art section of any event or session that we do because it's phenomenal to see what children will come up with if we do these sheets um we do dragon drawing sheets and we do draw your emotions. So there's a happy, angry and sad. And when you put them in front of children to see how they convey angry, it could be anything from an angry face to, but the, some, there's one child and it was just, she colored the entire page in very, very carefully black, just with these eyes, you know? So it's the way that she was conveying um, scared in that instance was just, it was fantastic to see what they do when you just give them a bit of rain to do it. So that, that's certainly Julie's favourite part. So so we added those worksheets on as well, but I haven't actually put them onto the website yet. They're on the Facebook page. So uh, that's reminded me. <laughs> I better get on that. You're welcome. Thank you very much. <laughs> but it's interesting you should say that. I should say um, that we are still recording these sessions um, one on one George Street during lockdown, which is the reason why we're talking to each other through Zoom. And again, if people at home can hear weird little noises or pops that's is the reason to go back to your book as a teaching resource and i am aware of what multi-sensory storytelling is and the way that approach can turn a story or a narrative into a very sensory very immersive experience not just for the the person who is listening to the story or experience the story but also for the multi-sensory storyteller well one of the things that i find so interesting for me a lot of it depends on if it's a large group or one-on-one. -on -one. So if it's one-on-one, -on -one, you're very focused on the individual reactions and, and what the person is responding to best. And I mean, I know Leo's inside out, you know, so there are some elements of the story that I would do with somebody else that he just doesn't like at all. And there's, he likes lights. And so there's some things I can convey slightly differently. So um, things like if he's having a bit of a bad day, the crackling of the, you know, the foil, the lightning might be a bit much for him. So I can use a plasma ball to let him actually visually see the flashes. So there's ways that you can adapt that. So if you're doing a one-on-one -on -one with a person, you do learn a bit more about what they respond to and you can tailor it. But, but then the group sessions are are great as well because it becomes it's more of an event so it's more of a not, not performance isn't the right word because obviously everyone's drawn in but if you have a room full of six or ten then that's obviously got a very different feel to it but one of the things that I found so interesting about 
about multi-sensory storytelling and what I did actually here, although I did this with Leo, um, to actually create it for the story, I went to see PAMIS um, promoting a more inclusive society up in Dundee and I met Maureen Phillip and she's, she's absolutely fantastic. But I asked her because obviously she's got more experience. I only had experience of Leo and what he liked. And one of the first things she was saying to me was keep it simple. You want to engage the senses, not overload them. So that was a really strong element in the, in the book is just how can you convey something simply and clearly and draw somebody in without it being too much? Because the book is actually longer, much longer than a multi-sensory story would be. A lot of these stories are kind of eight to ten lines with, with a lot of emphasis on, um, you know, each, each section's got more in it. So um, it's the thing that was interesting with them is that lots of these stories it's not just about telling a story the way that they use them and um, maureen showed me a lot of the books in their pamis library their resources well what i found really really interesting what she was telling me about these stories is that they can actually be used to, to take the fear out of a situation so if you've got a child that's maybe going to the dentist or if you're going to the park for the first time you can use the multi-sensory story to prepare the person for what it is that they're going to be facing. You can use them as education to teach them about what their seizures are like. And so they've got this fantastic resource there. And uh, that really, really interested me is how you can actually use a shorter story to help prepare somebody for something that they're going to face in the world, not just educate them about, you know, or, or have a fun immersive experience, or, but actually say, this is, this is to prepare you for what you might face in life. And I, I just, I think it's amazing the scope that you can actually have with, with multi-sensory storytelling. As well as converting your story from a regular narrative to a multi-sensory story, I noticed that you also have recordings of yourself telling your story through Makaton. How did you go about doing that? Well, I knew I wanted to record it in Makaton because a lot of children that we met through Rachel House um, use Makaton. And I, I'm not sure how much you know about it, but it's, um, it's signs and symbols used to help people communicate al along with words. So they're based, the signs are based on British Sign Language, but used in conjunction with words so it's it's very flexible and what I find really interesting about it is that children or adults you can use it to assist the speech but as they become more comfortable or competent with speech they can just drop the signs so for me I knew that I did want to do that so I spoke to Maureen again at PAMIS she is just my guru but um, I spoke to her and she put me in touch with Joanna Fraser Joanna Fraser is a very, very patient woman, uh, a Makaton tutor who actually broke the book down for me and trained me how to read the book in Makaton. So yeah, then we, we got together with some students from Fife College and actually filmed it. And because um, I wanted it to have, I wanted it to have the sound effects. I wanted it to be as close to just a, a fun sort of cartoony feel for, for children. I wanted to do that. So um I don't actually use Makaton with Leo. He's not quite at that stage yet. So for me, it was um, it was learning a new skill. So it's uh, it's new to me, and I'm certainly no actor, but I did my best. So I, I hope uh, I've had quite I've had good feedback from it. So um, I, I hope people like it. <laughs> you also have a song. Yes, the song. I love the song. The song was actually created by Rachel Houses in-house musician, uh, resident musician, Rachel. Um, and she she's worked with Leo since he was a couple of months old and he he loves her um, because Leo responds quite strongly to, to music. And she, so she's always singing songs and he, he loves her ukulele. So she's been fantastic because I, 
I knew that I wanted there to be music because my son responds to music. So why wouldn't I want that in there? So she actually took it away and she came up with the words and the music and she enlisted some students as well um, to help, help. I think it's a, oh, it's Emma and Callum. So they actually played, played the tune. So that's on the website as well. But she also um, had the sheet music too, so that that can be played by any parents or at schools. And we just wanted as many, as many ways to access the story in as many ways as possible to be available um, on the website. So uh, I, just, I just look at the way that Leo responds to the story and I just think, well, I want everyone to be able to enjoy all these different aspects of it. Brilliant. Well, I think it's only right then that we take a listen. This is Leo's song, Musical Lyrics by Rachel Jory, Guitar by Callum McIlroy, Flute by Emma Roche, and with thanks to Bob Whitney. Now see here, lightning dragon Inside Leo's head Calm your crackling flashes Your lightning forks of red For Leo is the bravest And the strongest of all knights He will fight hard and he will win So dragons just take flight Now see here I remember actually one event that we had and um, I played the music just so that I play this around about the time that the minstrels, um, to emphasize the minstrels playing music to soothe the dragons. And I played this and there was, um, there was a library full of 50 children and what was absolutely adorable so many of them just stood up and just started swaying to the music and I just I thought it was lovely it's great to see children interact to all the various different aspects so I try and bring as much of that into a storytelling session as I can and it, it was very very sweet the song has been so well received and I think I think they did a great job with it and it also shows how well young people react to music oh yeah <laughs> as we all do as we all do um, <laughs> Jill, I ask this question to every guest that we have in the show, and um, I'm not too prescriptive about it. If you want to choose one book, you can do. If you want to choose three books, you can do, but no more than three. Um, <laughs> what is your favourite children's story and why? Oh, that's that's actually a really easy one for me. My favourite children's book's always been The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. I've loved that my whole life. Funnily enough, I've never read any of the other Narnia books because I... 
I thought that book was so perfect. I actually never wanted anything else to taint it. Maybe I'm missing out. Maybe they're spectacular, but uh, but I just I loved that as a standalone, and I didn't want anything to uh, anything to taint it. But um, to me, it, it's it's got everything. It's got the adventure, but it's got. This, I love a book with a strong moral message. Mm. But um, what I really do like the main thing with that is that all of the characters are flawed. Every single one of them is flawed, but yet they all find ways to contribute. They all find ways to actually do something to help. Even Edmund, who does some fairly significant bad things, he finds a way to redeem himself, you know, and actually come good in the end. And and I love that. It's it's a it's it's something that's always worked for me. I'm not really a fan of flawless heroes who do absolutely everything by themselves. I don't really relate to that. So uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's my favourite, hands down. <laughs> Brilliant. I, I think you could be missing out on the the, the subsequent novels and the, the in the. Series. I have been told this actually. Yeah. I'm probably shooting myself in the foot, but um, but it's funny how you can put so much in a book. Because I remember going to my grandma and granddad's house, and they had this old cupboard at the top of the stairs. Every time, without fail, I'd have to go and check the back of the cupboard. Crushing disappointment every time I failed. But but there's something about even a street lamp, a street lamp in winter, and it, it can just transport you right there. Jill, we mentioned briefly before that obviously we are under lockdown. How are you coping with the lockdown as, as a creative person and, and as a mum? Well, it's, it's been, I'll be honest, it's been a little bit up and down. Um, it's worth noting here that when we are looking after Leo, we do have support. So mm. we, before lockdown, we're having three or four nights of home care a week. So nurses come into the house to help us look after him. Um, without them, we sleep in shifts, my husband and I. So we are now on, I think it's 110 nights of no home care. Here. So uh, yeah, I feel very old, <laughs> very tired, and that's that's a problem that I've found. Tiredness doesn't really breed creativity for me, so um, that that's been quite difficult. And we've also been um, we've been shielding with Leo, so we haven't been beyond the end of the driveway, as I say, since uh, the middle of March. Now that, for me, the fastest way to switch off is I, I love going for solo hikes. Um, I just, that being able to get out in nature, it switches my head off. And that's when all my creative ideas tend to just pop up. Story ideas, character ideas, or just just little rhyming pattern that I hadn't thought before. It always comes after that little bit of me time. So without that, that's actually been very, very difficult. Um, so I haven't I haven't really been writing as much over the past few months. So it's not all bad. I have, however, created a vegetable garden in containers and they're actually edible. So it's not been a whole loss. <laughs> I've enjoyed some really nice family time. So creatively, I've, I've been actually fairly mediocre, but, um, but it's actually, it's not, it's not been all bad. We've had a lot of lovely time together, you know, despite the crippling tiredness. <laughs> so uh, you have to laugh, really, don't you? It's uh, trying times and all that. <laughs> You mentioned that you um, you finally get a little bit of a challenge writing and working on on current projects, but I know you have ambitions and plans to work on future projects. You mentioned it very very briefly. Projects that you're thinking about doing with Julie B. Uh, what are those plans? Well, the second one we are working on a second book, and what I would like to do, I'd like to have it as a well. We are we've we've got a lot of wording down, and her illustrations are looking fantastic, actually. I want to take a child on a round the world adventure, a, a multi-sensory adventure. So it's finding the balance between introducing the sensory elements, but still, but having a fun story that actually is inclusive. So there's quite a few layers to that, that to me, 
as well, if I'm trying to have a story about Leo, it's a tricky one to go to from Leo and the Lightning Dragons. If you've portrayed the boy as, you know, a boy as a knight, mm -hmm. then to suddenly go, and now he's in a plane and he's going around the world. I think that was something for me because I think what I'd have to do with the second book is perhaps let go of that a little bit. So that loses then the personal thing for me. So f that's something I have struggled with ever so slightly. With yeah, I'm, I'm the weak link here. Jilly's doing brilliantly, but, but that's something that I've struggled with ever so slightly. So for me, um, I tend to put a lot of pressure on myself. So what I have to do there is step back and say, you can just keep writing and when it feels right, then great, get that across to Jilly and she, she can do something with it. Because um, the minute I start saying to myself, you should have done this already, why have you not done this, this should happen, it just dries up. It, there's no words to be found anywhere. So, um, so that's, that's something that I'm learning as I'm, I'm going, just to be able to give myself a break, sit back and then just, and just see what happens. Because sometimes, you know, the, the best, it's as I was saying about going for a hike, the best ideas and the best creativity comes when you're not trying so hard to be creative. And um, so that's something I've been finding and uh, it's, it's going a lot better now. I've actually wrapped my head around that, to be honest. So, so yeah, there is the second book and I would, I would love that to be published and out in the world, very much so. But the one thing I, I would say is, I love Leo and the Lightning Dragons. I believe in Leo and the Lightning Dragons. I believe in what that can actually do for children um, to, to teach them about epilepsy, to raise awareness. So for me, I think there's a huge scope still with Leo and the Lightning Dragons. There's the school visits. I love doing them. And funnily enough, I thought that I would find them harder than I did. When you're the parent of a child with a life-shortening condition um, who is severely disabled, spending time with, especially with, you know, classrooms full of healthy, you know, enthusiastic children. I thought that was actually going to be very difficult, but I love it. Seeing the enthusiasm that children have for the story, whether it's a multi-sensory story and it's one-on-one -on -one and a child gets just, even if it's just one, one element of the story, you see them respond to that. If it's something like that to an entire classroom of kids laughing, it's so rewarding. So to me, I, I can't get enough of that. I'd love to just do more and more schools. As I say, I, I, think it's, I think it's just me being a big kid, but to me, that's what it's all about, children enjoying the story. So uh, there's, a, there's a lot of scope there. Um, Multi-sensory storytelling is always going to be my priority. Um, it's, it's so important to us. It's how I tell stories with Leo. Every story I tell him, I you know every book I buy, I base it on whether or not I can just, I can do a wee adapt, you know, I can adapt it into a story. And there, there are a lot actually that if, if the authors I think knew, they might be quite keen to, because um, there's always, there's always scope with stories to do that. So um, I'd love to do more work with Pamis um, because I think that they're fantastic. And I, I love working with Maureen. It's a real privilege to work with her because not only is she actually very good at her job, but she cares and that just comes through all the time. So I, I'd love to, I'd love to just really follow her around and, and annoy her all the time because because <laughs> it was, I loved putting the book together in that way with her. So, um, and the events that we've done, um, they were working a lot to create inclusive festivals and um, they did Wildhood Children's Festival, which unfortunately um, was cancelled this year due to COVID-19. But um, they they are very focused on making festivals inclusive for, for children, for adults, and and I am blown away by the work that they do. So anything I can do you know, alongside them, I'll do it. I'll do anything they ask me, really. <laughs> so, so yeah, there's there's a lot. There's a lot I'd like to do. My main thing is that I, being a full time carer for Leo, anything I can do 
is very much dictated to you by by how he is and how he's doing it so um so something like you know i'd love to be able to pop down to england and you know so i think there was um, somewhere in newcastle i was invited down to but the logistics of trying to arrange that for Leo made it a little bit harder for me. So, so yeah, it's, I'm very much moving within the scope of what I can do. So, um, but yeah, I, uh, I'm absolutely loving it. So I'd like to just, I'd like to keep doing it for as long as everyone will let me. <laughs> please do, please do. As I say, your book, Leo and the Lightning Dragons, was brilliant. I hope that you continue working on your writing and certainly continue your work with schools. I think with lockdown being what it is and with your book touching on the issue of mental health and mental illnesses or, or issues to do with the mind, I think there's a lot of scope there, particularly with regards to lockdown and, and children's experience of lockdown and what kind of effects it could have on them. So yeah, just continue doing what you're doing. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Jill, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been fantastic, really interesting. Thank you. And thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Anytime.